Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. I'll be doing the reading. I don't get to do the reading a lot, and I wanted to. Luke 1, starting in verse 26, going through verse 38. When I finish, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond, thanks be to God. In the sixth month, angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome to New King. I'm so glad you're here today. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and we do take turns uh, preaching. And uh, today you got me. And uh, I'm the old guy, and uh, I guess that's okay, except this morning um, I did the classic thing, which I always try not to do. Uh, a young man came in the door, and I went up, and I introduced myself, and I said, is this your first time here? He says, no, not at all. Matter of fact, I've talked to you before, and we've had a conversation. So uh, classic Eric, I apologize for that. I'm old, what can I say? So today we're going to look at this old story. No, I wasn't there. I don't remember it. But it's the story of the virgin birth. And, and in our day, even to say this term, virgin birth, it seems so antiquated. It seems so quaint, like we're coming to church in the horse and buggy or something. It seems so irrelevant, but it's not. It's, it's, it's a core to our Christian faith. Um, John Luke, could you bring up um, one of the creeds, the, the Apostles' Creed? One of the things that's really interesting, if you go all the way back to 150 AD, I do remember this. Um, there's something called the Apostles' Creed, and the creeds were something that happened way back when, when, when when they decided to write down, what is it really, how do we really understand God? 
Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? And they wrote it down. And one of the first, around 150 AD, was the Apostles' Creed. And it starts like this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And some of you know this, right? Some of you have recited this over and over again. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So these Christians, way back at the beginning, thought it was important to write down something about the virgin birth. There it is. And then the next creed that comes up, the Nicene Creed, uh, was 325, and then there was a, a little addition to it in 381, right around that time. The Nicene Creed. And, and what happens with each of these creeds as they're added in, they add a little more. They explain things a little more detailed. And so way back then, in the middle it says, <clears throat> and we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. I, I remember as a kid in the Episcopal Church reciting this, so when I reread that uh, this week, it's like, yeah, I remember that. Begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. And then the next page through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. So there it is again. There's, there's five great creeds in the history of the Christian church. And they all talk about the virgin birth. They thought it was important. If you go to New King's websites... We have a statement of belief, our doctrinal statement, and it says this about Jesus, God the Son. Christ is the eternal Son of God in his incarnation as Jesus Christ. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So we thought it was important to follow suit with this long history about the incarnation to say, yeah, it is important. So my sermon today, we're going to do a quick exposition of these verses, just walk right down through them to, so we know where we are, and then I want to tell you three reasons why the virgin birth is important, and then I want to apply it to us today, why it's important for us here at the end of 2023. So that's, a, that's the plan. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, just help us to see the importance of how your son Jesus came into this world through this young woman, Mary. Father, help us to see why it's important and help us to see how it's important and practical for us today. I pray that you would help us, me to preach, you to receive through your Holy Spirit. I ask this in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Okay, so start right out, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. So in the sixth month, what's going on here? So you have to understand, Dr. Luke starts out his gospel with two women. One is old, her name is Elizabeth. And she has endured shame her whole life because she couldn't have a child. She was called barren. She didn't have a child. In that culture, that was very shameful. And then we come to this other young woman. Now we have a young woman, Mary. She's young, and now she's going to have a baby before she's married. She's going to get pregnant. 
And so one woman is old, one woman is young. One woman had shame her whole life and it's taken away. The other woman, now shame is going to come upon her because she's going to get pregnant before she's married. One is in Jerusalem, the center of God's worship. One is in this nowhere town, Nazareth. It's not even named in the Old Testament. What Luke wants us to see is that these two women are connected. And as you go through chapter 1, it goes back and forth between them. Today we're going to focus on Mary. So in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's what that means, the angel Gabriel came. And uh, it says in verse 27, Who did he come to? To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So first off, let's just focus on this word virgin. In the Greek, the word is parthenos. Say that with me. Parthenos. Now you can speak Greek. I don't think anybody said it. Let's try again. Parthenos. Parthenos. That's even better. Okay. If you look it up in a concordance of Greek, it will say there's three primary meanings for this word. One, a young woman of marriageable age. She's a woman. She's young. It's time for her to get married. She's of marriageable age. You might think of the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 as a good example of that. If you look it up, the second uh, basic meaning is someone's marriageable daughter. And if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, some translations talk about if you're virgin, and it's like, what is this talking about? It means if you're a marriageable daughter. And the third meaning is a woman who has never had sexual intercourse. And that's the term we think in our heads of, of virgin. And how do we know which it's referring to? We know by the context. And, and understand, this word has been attacked, particularly in the 1800s into the 1900s, and say it was never meant to indicate someone who had never had sexual intercourse. Well, of course it was. And I'm going to prove that to you. And I'm going to prove to you that in this portion of Luke, that's exactly what it means. And we can get all hung up about the word, don't even bother. This portion is going to define it for us, clearly. So she's a virgin, whatever that means. She's betrothed. So what happened in those days, the culture was, you became engaged to be married. And there was this period, up to about a year, where you were betrothed. During that time, you could get a divorce. If you decided it wasn't going to work out, you could get divorced. But once you were married, that was a different story. So they were in this period. They did not live together. They lived apart. They were formally engaged, and they were recognized as engaged. And if they wanted to break it off, they got a divorce. That's what was going on. And her name was Mary. Poor, probably illiterate teenage girl. Some people think she could have been as as young as 12. Most people say she was probably 15 or 16. And she's from this nowhere place, Nazareth, not even named in the Old Testament. Remember Nathaniel, when when they talked about Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel said in John chapter 1, did anything good come from that place? She came from a nowhere place. 
And this is who God chooses. And so in verse 28, there's a greeting. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Favored. Highly favored. And what that means, the word root for the word favor is charis. Grace. And some people say, Mary, full of grace. You know why she was full of grace? Because it was bestowed upon her. It wasn't that she was full of grace herself. She is the one that God is going to lavish his grace upon because his own son is going to be born from her. So it's not like she's a source of grace. She's a recipient of grace. And sometimes we get that a little wrong. She's a source of gra- she's not a source of grace, she's a recipient of grace. And then she responds to all this and she's like, you know, oh favored one, the Lord is with you, but she was greatly troubled. If you look back at when the angel came to Elizabeth's um, husband Zechariah, it says he was she, he was troubled when the angel came. Now Mary is greatly troubled. Same word, but she's greatly troubled. She's like, what is going on here? And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might mean. What does this mean? This angel comes. She's troubled. She's greatly tr- She's anxious. She's afraid because the angel immediately says, Mary, don't be afraid. Right? Next verse. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Again, this idea of finding favor. You are the recipient of charis, God's grace. This is who you are, right? And as it unfolds here in verse 21, now we get to the point that the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, has to tell her. This is the point. Behold, and how do we know what's the point? Because it says behold. Anytime it says behold in the scripture, make sure you understand what it means. This is a marker to say, look, this is important. Behold, the angel says. And what's the important part? You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now understand the language that this angel Gabriel uses is quite detailed. You're going you're gonna to have a son. No, you will conceive in your womb, not somewhere else. He just wants to make it clear. He's laying it out in a very detailed manner. You will conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son. And his name, you won't name him. He's already been named. What's his name? His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jehovah's Savior. This is who you're going to bear. He will be great. will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Beautiful verses with two themes. Theme number one. He will be the Son of the Most High. This baby that you are going to have within you is going to be the Son of God. And then the, the angel Gabriel connects this idea of kingship. 
goes all the way back to Old Testament. Second Samuel chapter 7, where David has this interaction. And David says, oh God, I, I'm living in this palace. You're living in this old, moldy, sweaty tent. This is wrong. I'm going to build you a house. And God comes back and says, yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. But you know what? I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to create for you a destiny. From you is going to come a king whose reign will never end. So there's this idea of sonship, the son of God, the son of the most high, and this kingdom that will never end. And so Mary's like, yeah, man, that's cool. That's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that, right? Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Right? Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since... I am a virgin. That's not what the Greek says. And if you look, if you have an ESV Bible, which is the Bible that we preach from from this church, there's a little note. And at the bottom of the page it says, since I have not known a man. How will this be? How? And now we understand what's meant by virgin. It's right here in the context of this passage. When it calls her a virgin, it means she has not had sexual intercourse with a man. You're going to have a son. How can this be? I have not had sexual intercourse with a man. This is what it says. I have not known a man. The word known is a euphemism for sexual intercourse. That's how it's described. in the, in, So you go through, if you ever read the King James Bible, so-and-so knew so-and-so and they begat so-and-so. The word know means to have sexual intercourse. That's what that means in, again, the context of, of, of what is written. So she says, I haven't had those relationships. How is this going to work? She's a virgin. She's never known a man. Clear. The angel answers her in great excruciating detail. He lays it out in a way that you cannot deny what he means. And what does he say? Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So what does this say? The Holy Spirit, can I say this reverently, the Holy Spirit will be the Father. The Holy Spirit will be the one that accomplishes this in your womb. It's not another man, it's not Joseph, it's not anybody else, you're a virgin. The Holy Spirit is going to come. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. This refers to the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament. And the result, the result will be the child will be called holy. That's absolutely vital. We have to understand what that means. The child will be called holy, pure, blameless, without sin. This is one of the reasons, and I'll get to that in a a minute. This is why the virgin birth is so important because the child is going to be called holy. The child will be holy. Now, verse 36, something else. And Mary said, oh, no, sorry. 
Verse 37, for nothing will be, oh, I've skipped a verse. Verse 36, there it is. Behold, your relative Elizabeth. What happens when you see behold? It's something important. You got to look. Behold. Your cousin, Elizabeth, is with child. The one who had shame her whole life is with child. And the, and, the, and the angel lays it out. She who was called barren, nothing will be impossible with God. So he tells her that. And then Mary says, behold, one more time. Look, third time. I am your servant. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departs. She's confused a bit. She's perplexed. She's still troubled, but she says, okay, I I guess I'll just do whatever I need to do. She puts herself in God's hand, but in a way, she's, uh, she's just a little wondering what's gonna happen to me, right? Maybe in her head she's saying, I'm 15 years old. I live in a small town. I'm engaged, and I'm going to be pregnant. Maybe she's thinking about the shame that's going to come upon her in this situation. So she says, okay, Lord, it's in your hands. I submit to you. I'm your handmaiden. I'm your servant. But she's still troubled. And what happens? The next couple sections, she goes to visit her cousin, And then once she visits her cousin, she then sings this beautiful song of rejoicing. Okay? So that's the passage. Those are the verses. Why is the virgin birth important? Why is it one of the core beliefs of the Christian church for for millennials? Not millennials, but for a thousand years or more. Why does it appear in all the creeds? Why does it appear in our doctrinal statement? I want to give you three reasons. Reason number one. Scriptural fidelity. Believing what the Bible says. We can come at the Bible in 2023 with our scientific minds and our scientific thoughts and say, yeah, that's impossible, miracles are impossible, all this stuff, and we can take our culture and apply it to the Bible. It's a mistake. We need to take the Bible and apply it to our culture. Now, that doesn't mean we're not scientific, and I'm going to tell you a story before I get down here that's very scientific. What does the Bible say? Even critics of the virgin birth will say, well, it is taught there in this chapter. It's unmistakable. But it doesn't begin in this chapter. The whole of Scripture testifies to the virgin birth. Did you know that? And it begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There's this interesting phrase that's used there. The seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. The seed of the woman. Now, technically, a woman doesn't have seed. So why is that used? Because it points to the virgin birth. 
It points to something outside of the norm, something that's different. And then it shows up in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold. What do you do when you see a behold? You look. Behold. Look. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. If virgin meant a woman of marriageable age, that wouldn't have been a sign. A woman of marriageable age shall have a child and they'll come. No, a virgin. (laughs) Someone who hasn't been with a man, who hasn't known a man. So there it is in Isaiah chapter 7. And it goes on and it it shows up in Matthew chapter 1. And we read there about Joseph's experience and Joseph's view of it and what Joseph responds to. To how Joseph responds to it. And then look to how Mary, or look one, how Mary responds. So what I'm trying to tell you is the testimony of Scripture is complete and unambiguous. And we must take it at its word. We must believe it. As soon as we say, yeah, that's not true. I'm not going to believe it. It's a slippery slope. We must submit ourselves to what Scripture says. And it teaches clearly from Genesis all the way through the New Testament that Mary did not know a man. She was a virgin. And the child conceived in her was conceived by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. And that brings me to point two. Point one, believing the Bible. We've got to start there. Uh, point number two, God's redemptive plan. And here's what I mean by that. If Jesus' genetic father had been Joseph, then he, Jesus, would have inherited from his father Joseph the sin nature that we're all born with. We call this, there's a doctrine, and don't get too nerved up by this. It's called the imputation of Adam's sin. We are all, each of us, born in sin because our head is our father. That's the way scripture describes it. And we inherit from him the sin nature. Romans chapter 5 goes into that in detail. And with it comes death. And how do we get out of that? We believe in Jesus and we have a new birth. Why is it called a new birth? It's because now we're born of the Spirit. Yeah? So we're born of the Spirit. So it's a new birth. So God's redemptive plan is that this child, Jesus, would have a father, if I can speak reverently, that's the Holy Spirit, so he does not inherit Adam's sinful nature. It comes through the man's side. And so that's why the angel says he will be holy. Do you see the connection? There it is. It's as logical as you can imagine. Why is he holy? Why is he born holy? Because his father is the Holy Spirit. And that's utterly important. If we give up the doctrine of the virgin birth, our very salvation 
is effected. Jesus is no longer the holy spotless lamb of God. He is no longer the holy one of Israel. He's inherited Adam's sin if his father was Joseph. And the angel says, therefore, the child will be holy. Paul, the man of the intellect, describes Jesus and he says he knew no sin. Peter, the man of action who was always going about, says Jesus did no sin. And John, the apostle John, who knew Jesus more intimately than anybody else, who laid his head on the breast of Jesus, said in him was no sin. Jesus is the holy, spotless, eternal, sinless Son. And he gave his perfect life for our sins. Our very salvation depends upon his genealogy. And his Father was the Holy Spirit. Okay. Believing the Bible, God's redemptive plan, and then... I can only just scratch the surface, the incarnation. It's a term for Jesus being born fully God and fully man. This is astounding and is another core of our Christian belief that Jesus is fully God and fully man. So let's for a moment look at the alternatives to the virgin birth. How else could God have done? God could have done anything, right? So let's pretend that God, that Jesus somehow was formed up in the heavens and he was sent to earth, sort of the, uh, the spaceman approach. Jesus comes fully formed to earth. How would we receive him? We would struggle with his humanness. You see, Jesus was born to a poor family, in a nowhere town. And he grew up working with his hands. And he was fully human. If he was the spaceman come from heaven, we would struggle with his human. How can you relate? You don't understand what it's like to live here. Oh my word, Jesus understands everything about it. He understands us. He knows us. So the spaceman approach doesn't work. What if it was two humans? That gave birth. What if it was Joseph and Mary got married and their first child was Jesus? Then we would struggle with the God part of it. One would struggle with the human part of it. The other would struggle with the God part of it. It wouldn't work. So God in his infinite wisdom says, I know how I'm going to make this work. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And you will become pregnant you will conceive in your womb a child through the overshadowing power of the Holy Spirit. God and a woman put together, and Jesus is fully God and fully human. That is the amazing part about our faith. God worked that out. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Incarnation. I can't go into any more than that. It's just, don't have time. So those three reasons. We've got to believe the Bible. 
We've got to understand how our redemption works. And then we've got to look at, um, thirdly, just the incarnation of God and man dwelling together in one body. And, and so what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for you and I today? We live in 2023, a very scientific age. How does it, how does it, how do we relate to it? And I want to tell you three things. Mary, this young, probably illiterate teenage girl from this nowhere town, is our prototype in three ways. In community, and in worship, and in salvation. First of all, in community. What happens? We didn't get, I didn't get a chance to read it all, but what happens? The angel Gabriel said, Mary's all confused by it all. What does this all mean? I don't know what to do. I'm perplexed. I'm distressed. I'm very troubled. And the angel says, hey, behold, I got something else to tell you. Your cousin Elizabeth is also with child. Why does he tell her that? And what happens? As you read a little further in the chapter, after the angel leaves, verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. She runs to her cousin. She runs to community. You see, she runs there. She says, I have had something amazing happen to me. I don't understand it, but I am going to go to somebody else, and I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to, together, we're going to figure this out. And she runs, and she goes, and she gets in community, and they talk about it, and they process it, and they figure it out together. You and I are created for community. We can't do it alone. We're created as the body of Christ. We're intimately connected together by the Holy Spirit to be a body. And when one member suffers, you know, I'm a guy, I get a little hangnail, you know, and and I'm all worried about it, and I'm crying to my wife, my finger hurts, you know. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. Why? Because we're connected together. We are the body of Christ. We are to be in community. We are to be together. And when things happen, we talk them out with each other. We get together and we say, man, I just had something happen this week. Can we talk? I cannot tell you how many times I have driven to community group grumbling, saying, yeah, I'm tired. What am I doing this for? It's a 45-minute drive. I don't want to do this. And I show up, and we talk together, and we enjoy the scriptures, and we pray. And I come out of that barn house, and I am more energized than I ever am in my life. We're created for community, and Mary got it. And she went to her cousin and they talked it through and they encouraged each other and they figured it out. And then, what does Mary do? She sings. (laughs) She sings. She worships God. 
How do we understand the virgin birth? First, Mary is our prototype. She's in community. The result of community is worship. She comes away and she sings this incredibly beautiful song. Tim Keller says it's the first Christmas carol. There it is. Verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate. He has seen me. He has looked at me. He has taken notice of me, his humble servant, in squalor, in poverty, in a nowhere place. And what has he done? For behold... (laughs) (laughs) There it is. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, a recipient of God's grace in a special and intimate way. And she sings. See, we as Christians, we're a singing group. We're singing. We've sung for centuries. There's songs from Genesis to Revelation. We sing and we worship God together because of who he is and what he's done. So Mary gets in community. She's our prototype. The result of community is she worships and she sings. Mary's our prototype. And finally, Mary is our prototype in salvation. So I want to tell you a little story. I grew up in a very scientific home. My dad was a research scientist in uh, mammalian uh, genetics specifically working with mice. That was his big deal. And back around the late 60s, maybe 1970, he was uh, developing a technique. Now follow me here. Developing a technique in which a female mouse egg was penetrated by a very thin, thin probe, a metal probe. Very sharp, very thin. And the hope was, by this act of penetrating the cell wall, the egg would begin to develop. And it did. Only until about 10 days. And then it would die. The egg would multiply, and that's what... And there was a a technical term for it. It's called uh, parthenogenesis. So remember, parthenos, I made you say that word, means virgin or young woman. The technical term that my dad used was parthenogenesis, virgin beginning, right? That was a technical scientific term, and that's what he was working on. One evening, the telephone rang in our home. My dad answered. And it was about a minute-long phone call, and he came back, and he sat down in his chair, and his face was white. My mother thought somebody had died, which you would. And what happened? What, who was that phone call? And my dad says, my boss, it was Dr. Witten. I, I, I was there. I remember this clearly. It was Witten, he said. Well, what, what's going on? What happened? And my dad, his hands were shaking. His face was white. And he said, there's a case. And my mother said, what are you talking about? They found a case. Parthenogenesis, there's a young woman in South America. 
and they think she's pregnant without a man. And it shook him to the core. I'll never forget that conversation. I'll never forget being there a long time ago. And as it turned out, it wasn't that. She was pregnant by a man. But the implications shook him to the core. I want to be very careful in what I say here. I want to be accurate and I want to be respectful. And I'm treading on very difficult ground, so please bear with me and don't yell at me too bad afterwards. I'm going to use some terms here. Back to Mary. The Holy Spirit penetrated, tore. There was a slight tear, her womb. Yeah? And Mary's seed was fertilized by God himself. That implanted, fertilized seed began to grow. Because of the penetration, because of this slight tear, and it began to grow into God himself, into Jesus. It was Jesus, the Son of God, that began to take shape, to be formed within her. Are you with me? Are you following this? Is this okay? Where else in Scripture does, do, do words like this appear? Let me give you a couple. Isaiah 64. I think we might have that one. I can't recall. Yeah. There's a prayer. Oh, this is to God. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would tear the heavens and come down. This is a prayer. Come to us, God, that you would tear the heavens and come down. And then in Mark's gospel, Mark 1.10, at the baptism of Jesus, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Oh God, that you would come and just tear the heavens, and here he is. He comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. And there's one more place I want to point to. New Testament scholar Frank Thielman, uh, I was reading in Galatians. There's another little verse here. This is Paul writing, and he says, My little children for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth. Now stop there. He's worried about the fact that they've messed up the gospel. They've added something to it. And he says, I'm like a mother giving birth. I feel the anguish. It's like I'm giving birth to you all over again. But then right in the middle of the verse, he changes the metaphor. And he says, until Christ is formed in You. He changes from giving birth to Christ being formed in them. And the word formed is morpho, the Greek word that refers to a child being formed in the womb. 
what Paul is saying, Christ is going to take up residence in you. There's going to be a seed implanted in you, and it's Jesus. And it's going to grow, and it's going to be developed in you. Just like, as a scholar says, union with Christ means not only that they were dwelling in Christ, but also that Christ, by the power of the Spirit, was dwelling in that person. This is exactly what happened to Mary. Here's what I'm trying to say. All of these things are connected. And it happened to Mary. The Holy Spirit penetrated her. And Christ began to be formed. It happens for every single Christian. The Holy Spirit penetrates your soul and Christ takes root in your soul. He's formed and he grows and that's the Christian experience. You understand? Last thing I want to say. There's a case. Remember my dad sat down and he was all white-livered and shaky and all that? He said to my mom, there's a case. I'm saying to you, my good friends and my brothers and sisters at New King, we have case. On Thursday night, a young man here went to bed in his sins. And by morning, Christ had been implanted in him. And he's a new creature in Christ. He's a Christian now. I'm not going to tell his story because it's his story. But we have a case. And when he called me that Friday morning, instead of being white and afraid and shaking, I was shaking with laughter. Everything he would say to me, I would just laugh out loud. Because we have a case. Mary is the prototype. Nobody talks about that. Nobody sees that. But there it is, right in the scripture. Mary is the prototype. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, tears into our soul and penetrates our soul, and we're changed and we come, become a new creation. And Christ lives in us and grows in us. That's why the virgin birth is so important, because it's a prototype. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can read these verses. We ask for your help to just understand all of this, the importance of the virgin birth and how it's a prototype for each of us as Christians as Jesus takes up life within us. To mix our metaphors, Father, we are born again, yet we're pregnant with Jesus. He's within us, growing and taking root. Father, help us to grow in the Christian faith and to be more like him, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.